This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. Today, we've got a great episode for you on three timeless secrets of influential leaders. I was connected with the man that you're going to meet today who hosts the Conversations with Passion podcast. And you know, when he was telling me his background, he had sat down with 4,000 to 5,000 thought leaders and conducted individual interviews with them, which to me, just I'm imagining what my calendar would look like if that was me. But um going, all right, here's an opportunity to really tap into some really great minds in a very compressed manner. And he said that there were definitely some themes, very specifically three of them, that they credited their success to. So we're going to go into that today because I think it's going to add a lot of value to you. So with that, let's get into my conversation with Corey Poirier. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. So I was really intrigued when you mentioned you've sat down with 4,000 to 5,000 thought leaders and done one-on-one interviews, which the time commitment, I can't even imagine, uh, but to really talk to them about their influence, how they ended up building their platforms, their their secrets to their success. And, and you mentioned that focus was a big part of that. What inspired you to even go down this journey in the first place? It's, it's interesting, you know, for me, I, I sort of, okay, today I would say I'm obsessed by it, but when I started the journey, it was kind of a, I'm going to say one of those happy accidents. So what happened is I had a business publication and for point of reference, I would compare it to success magazine, except for a lot smaller. Uh, so it was a, a localized business publication. And what happened to launch that was we, I had went through this business or entrepreneurial course. They offered us seed funding if we launched a business and me and a business partner were planning to launch a clothing slash CD store until we found out that we were going to require $250,000 extra of capital that we didn't have. But they were offering us a small amount of seed money if we did launch a business. And we had about a week and a half to now change gears after we had spent a year researching this business. And I said, well, we both seem to dig it interviewing entrepreneurs. Why don't we find a way to distribute that to people? And so that became the publication became the idea and way to uh, release the, let's say, the insight that we were getting from interviewing people. And that started the journey. But I didn't know then that I was going to become, again, back to that word, obsessed by it, learning from other people and sharing that insight with, with people who want to get the shortcuts or 
help avoid the manholes that the, the other leaders that they're learning from had fallen down before them. And like I said, I sort of became obsessed by it after doing it over and over again. But that publication, which was The Happy Accident, was what led to the start of it, if you will. Why interview other people? Why go out and seek what others had done versus putting your focus on taking action and figuring it out for yourself? For me, I will say I, I do believe in taking action and, and spending time in the trenches. Uh, I think it's it's necessary, but I also feel I want to spend less time in the trenches than I'd have to if I didn't go out and learn from other people. So to me, what the reason is, is, you know, I've heard the term study at the feet of giants. And, and I just feel that if somebody else has already spent all this time, let's say, inventing the wheel, why would I want to try to create a new wheel or a square wheel or something that, you know, that I'm going to have to even go through the same pain and same experience they did if I can take that shortcut. So I think for me, it's all about not necessarily doing it the easy way, but what what are the shortcuts? And if I can avoid some of the, the manholes that they've fallen down, I'm sure I'll fall down some of my own. I still want to be in the trenches and test it. But I just think if they can show me the shortcuts, why wouldn't I want to avoid the longer route there? And I can impact people sooner and quicker if I can find the shortcut and shorter way there. Yeah. And, and, and I'm leading you there a little bit because I firmly believe in looking to what other people have done. I mean, people who have followed this podcast know that that Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. It's been one of the most influential quotes in my life. It set me on this journey. And what, like you said, why reinvent the wheel when there's somebody who's already where you want to be, who can turn around, tell you, these are the steps you need to take. These are the mistakes you're likely going to make. These are the connections you're going to need. Oh, let me introduce you to those people now. It, just, it literally collapses time. And Gary Keller, in everything that he teaches, part of empire building is benchmarking and modeling constantly looking out and seeing what are other people doing, building models around it, figuring out how it's going to work for you, and then building the systems that will help you run the model. I love that. And, and, and the key thing there, my takeaway from you know what he's doing, it sounds like, is he's still spending his time in the trenches. He's just doing it maybe a little more efficiently. But you can't avoid the trenches unless you hire somebody else to do the work for you. But typically speaking, you're still going to do the work. And hopefully, if you love it, as they say, it won't be work anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so let's talk about some of these timeless secrets of the influential people, the influential leaders that you've talked to. What are some of the things that really stand out? So this one, Jeff, probably won't surprise you, but it relates to feeding our minds. You know, I, I've, I, I've had a quote one time I was sharing regularly about the fact that we spend so much time feeding our bodies, but we often forget to feed our minds. And interestingly enough, and again, this may not surprise you, but what I've noticed is the top leaders, they're lifelong learners. They find ways to continue to feed their mind long after other people would have quit learning and quit trying to find new ways to learn. And I don't know why, but this story always stuck out to me during an interview was with uh, Jack Canfield. So the Chicken Soup for the Soul co-creator, success principles. And Jack had said, um, in terms of, you know, feeding your mind in terms of how he does it, he talked about and shared him going to Tony Robbins seminars and him and Tony, of course, are friends and, and talk with each other regularly. But he talked about at 70, I think he was 70, just turned 70 at the time, going to Tony Robbins seminars and taking notebooks filled with notes, even though Jack's out there impacting millions of lives on his own. And he's sitting next to maybe a 19 year old who's not taking any notes. Jack is filling a paper, you know, a pad and a paper based on the notes he's taken from Tony Robbins, even though he's sat with Tony probably a hundred times. Mm -hmm. So these thought leaders, regardless of their age, regardless of how long they've been doing it, they understand that the day we stop learning is the, basically the day we stop living. And so they're constantly feeding their mind. And I've discovered that 
they essentially they try to find the most efficient way to learn, but they constantly want to always be learning. So that would be one of the common and common traits and timeless secrets is that they're constantly trying to find ways to continue to grow and feed their minds. So before we go into the the next trend that you saw with these people, I want to turn the focus to the audience and I want to ask you, are you showing up in the world as a consummate student? Are you constantly learning? And if not, what would your actions have to look like for you to begin the journey of being a consummate student? What habits would you have to form? And is this something you would want to adapt in your life? You know, it's great that you're listening to the podcast. It's expanding your mind, yet the value comes when you implement. So is this something you can implement in your life further? Corey, so you're talking to all these people. They're consummate students. What are some of the other trends that you saw? So one of them that I'll share is a common trait, but I'll, I'll kind of jump quickly onto another one because I, I'm going to probably guess, and, and actually you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to guess that a lot of the listeners to the show would probably have this trait already. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on something they already have, but I also don't want to assume that they do. So I'll, I'll maybe ask your thoughts on that. But sure. basically it's the idea of living your purpose. Mm. <laughs> my latest book, I talk about your why and discovering your why. You can insert the word passion, why, purpose, whichever word suits you. But these top, leader, these top leaders, and by the way, this is probably the most common trait, is they've discovered their why or their purpose, and that's how they live their life. Well, let's go into that because this is, you know, we've been at the time of this recording, uh, wrapping up spending three months with our founding members for the membership community that we've been building. And the idea of discovering your purpose has been a real pain point for a lot of them. They, they've read the one thing. They know that purpose is that ultimate foundation that drives your priorities, that drives your productivity, that ultimately drives the profit, the results that you have in your life. Yet people don't know how to discover their purpose. What have you found among these people when it came to them getting clarity there? So this is an area that I can, I can, I feel I can talk to in terms of both the perspective of what I've witnessed them doing and also even maybe offer a, a short strategy for where people can kind of start the process as well or continue the process depending where they're at. Uh, so, and, and maybe they, you know, they both probably relate so I can share them kind of together. And because it, what I've noticed and in terms of what they did to find their purpose relates to how I share that people should find their purpose. So it seems to me some combination of them sitting down and reflecting on what are the things that I either love to do now or enjoy doing now and feel I would be good at or love to do in the future. So that's, you know, in, in theory, that's in the, the bigger picture. But in terms of practicality, what that looks like is I recommend people, whether with a pen and a paper, if they're old school, or with a, a phone or an iPad, depending on which way they record their notes. I like pen and paper for this type of thing. But essentially writing down that list of what, are, and we've heard this before, but what are the things you would do if you won the lottery? So if money wasn't an issue, what are the things you would, uh, you would do uh, if, uh, if nobody stood in your way and said you couldn't do it? What is the thing that whenever you did it, you know, you said, I'm going to go to clown college and your parents said, no, you're not. You're going to go to Stanford. You know, where was that pivotal point where they pushed you off the thing you really thought you wanted to do or somebody pushed you off? Go back to that point and, and say, and write down what was that? And if you make that list, maybe it's 10 things, I think what you're going to find is you're going to find some, first of all, common trends, but secondly, you're going to have something to work from to start to isolate what could my purpose be. And then 
essentially what I what I get people to do is then uh, prioritize them and say, you know, what are the ones that if I drop these off on my list, I wouldn't care if I ever did them again. And, you know, and, and of course, you may want all 10 of them on, but it, you got to get an order to them at some stage. So let's say uh, you write down and decide that, you know, this is number one and this is number 10 or whatever they might be. Then what I tell people to do to keep the process as short as possible Obviously, you got to find your right passion. So I'm not saying to just pick one, but as short as possible. Obviously, you want to start with the one that you think you have the kind of, after all that work, inclining could be your purpose or your passion. And then this is the big step is, let's say if it's, I'm going to use a random example, but let's say it's stand-up comedy, because that's how I get started in speaking. So stand-up comedy, for most people, I wouldn't recommend you do what I did, which is to go to a club and then be tricked into performing that night. <laughs> but... Uh, and that's a whole, by the way, a separate story, but it was uh, a, quite an enlightening experience. But basically, the guy brought us there, didn't tell us we'd be performing. It was the end of a workshop, and we were kind of uh, led to believe that we were watching people entertain us. So I stayed out of 15 people, eight left, and, uh, and walked right at the front door. But the point is, if I, were, if I thought that could be a passion area for me, let's say stand-up, then maybe what I could do is I could list the steps that I could do to eventually get me to stand up. It might take me two months to actually get on the stage or three months. But if I take the baby steps towards that purpose area, then it won't feel as scary to try them. And once you start taking those baby steps, that's where the real rubber hits the road and you'll start to figure out pretty quickly, is this my passion? Now, all of this stuff might sound like a lot of work, but here's the thing. I've heard percentages as low as 5% when they say, you know, the number of people that will find their passion in their lifetime. So my question would be, if this could transform your life, would it be worth spending two months going through this list to find your purpose and passion versus hoping it lands in your lap three or four or five years from now? Well, and, and the people who have read the book or listened to the podcast who really do immerse themselves in the content understand the idea that extraordinary results comes down to unleashing a domino effect in your life. And unleashing a domino effect is not you knocking down millions of dominoes. It's about you getting your priorities aligned and just knocking down one. How can you think big in terms of the results you want in your life and then narrow the focus so small to one thing that you can do such that by doing it, everything else is easier or unnecessary. And then you go on a 66 day challenge doing it every day until it becomes a habit. Love that. And I think that ties in very well with this, you know, with this exercise of figuring out what, again, the one thing, what, what's the one passion rather than, like I said, trying to go in five different directions, trying different things, trying to figure out what it is. You know, this strategy here, it, you're trying really one thing and, and you're trying the mini steps as one thing individually. But if you knock down that domino, your whole world changes. It, it all comes back to me discovering my purpose. So there's so many benefits to me to take some small actions to find it. Uh, to me, I, every day of the week, I sign up for that. What is your purpose? My purpose, my why, if you will, is I actually, I, I kind of bring it down to, I describe it in, in, in my mission statement, which is five things, but it'll, it'll make sense if I share that with you. But basically, I want to be the person that donates, motivates, inspires, entertains, and educates. But I can even go further than that. The one thing, what is my purpose? It's to create an invisible impact in other people's lives. What do you say to the people like us? who feel like figuring out your purpose should be some statement that you, when you say it, people go, oh, that's so good. Yet when I've heard other people's purposes, they're like, my purpose is to be a teacher. 
<laughs> it's like it's it's like not some thing that says somebody says and like doves fly in the air and glitter shoots out. It's a very simple statement. What have you found among these thought leaders that you form relationships with? What are some examples of their purposes? So in terms of purposes of thought leaders and passion, you know, what their passion area might be, I'll, I'll kind of, I can summarize it in terms of what I've noticed as the commonality. It's probably easier than going, you know, individual one by one, but the commonality seems to be that they want to, the, the thought leaders I'm talking here, it seems to be that they want to make a, uh, a dent in the universe. As Steve Jobs says, they want to leave a lasting impact. They want to leave a footprint. I would even maybe summarize it. And I heard this one time and I don't even remember who said it. So it's hard for me to give credit, but I know it was a, a thought leader during an interview. And he said, um, I think it's important to live your life and take actions. So in a way that your legacy will live longer than your body, essentially. Mm. It seems to be that's the common thread is that the, the purpose and passion of most of the thought leaders that are educating and influencing and, and out in the world doing a similar type thing, it seems to be the common thread is they want to live longer than their body. They want to leave a lasting legacy. They want to make an impact on the world. It all seems to come back to making a difference in people's lives and in the world in general. I love it. I love it. All right. So I've heard you say that you're seeing these people, they're consummate students, their actions are driven by purpose. Where does the idea of focus come into play here? One of the three is what I call the ability to go all in. So these, we'll call them influencers, influential leaders, top uh, tier thought leaders. They are really focused on going all in with what they're doing at the time so that they can then focus on whatever the next thing is, focus uh, solely on it at that time. So to put that in a better perspective, you know, it means if they're in front of a person right now and they're with a person and maybe it's a client or a friend or whatever it might be, they're focused on that time and it being in present in that time. And then they might get to the phone an hour later and then they go all in with the phone. So in some ways, they're actually going all in in a bigger way than the people that think they're accomplishing a lot by juggling the two. And when you're with them, if you're with the person face to face, you feel like there's nobody else in the world that matters to them at that time. And and there's nothing quite like that feeling. So that's where I noticed the common trait is that they have the ability to go all in on one thing at one time. Well, you're, you're touching on the second lie of productivity, which is multitasking. And so many of us have been taught as kids or have heard at some point in our life that if you want to be productive, if you want to get more done, you have to be a great multitasker. Yet in the book, we really debunk the fact that multitasking is a lie because you end up wasting 28% of your day. And when you truly start to live this, when you start single tasking or monotasking and you, you make it a habit, it's at the point now where I actually get sick, feel actually sick in my body if I'm trying to do two things at once because my focus is divided and it like creates this thing in my head. It's really weird. I know you had a similar experience with this, Corey. Were you always single tasker, monotasker master, or did you used to be a multitasker? <laughs> uh, great question. I actually have, have been working on a, a new talk about kind of the inside the mind of a master multitasker, taking it from the perspective of what it's like on that side of the fence and and just, you know, where your mind's at and why it feels like it's a good thing, even though it's not. Uh, but yeah, so for me personally, I lived the multitasking life for a long time. And, and I even know, I think, going back to that why, I think I know the root of where it started from. 
my mother was a classic multitasker, a single mother who uh, raised me and, and all the while raising me, she was working a regular job and, and working with the a Boys and Girls Club and, and, and doing books for sea cadets. So like in the basically the militaries or the reserves. And so she was constantly always multitasking. And so that was my witness of, of you know, what life looked like. And I thought, you know, it must be a good thing. My mother seemed to do okay with it. And so really that's where my journey started in business and in life. I just thought multitasking was the way to go. And then another big part of kind of who I am is I'm certainly that type A personality stereotype that we talk about, high energy, uh, have a love for and lust for many things in life. So it also being somebody who's sort of quote unquote multifaceted or enjoys being multifaceted, it, it, it obviously it makes it hard not to multitask. So I can speak from the experience as well of how hard of a transition it was and challenge it was to go from being a multitasker to realizing that single tasking is where it's at and and realizing why I should be doing it. But yeah, I spent the first part of large part of my career where I would be, you know, juggling at let's say a phone call with a client and also typing some, a message and, and putting a note down to, to remind myself of something. And back in the day, whenever I, uh, way back 20 years ago, when I smoked, I would, you know, be, have a cigarette hanging in my mouth, you know, all the things and, and trying to juggle them all at once and really never really doing any of them as efficiently as the person that was sitting next to me who was on the call with a client and only in the zone with that client. But I didn't recognize it at the time. And I didn't really recognize it until I actually did a kind of my own little study to see, I, I actually kind of compared my days over a matter of about two weeks of a day of single tasking, a day of multitasking and see and, and, and basically reflect that. How did I feel at the end of each of those days? And what did I get done? And really looked at both. So let's, let's summarize that. What did you feel at the end of the day if you multitasked versus if you single tasked? So I felt at the end of the multitasking day, I felt cluttered. <laughs> so you know how we, you know how we say like a cluttered mind. Yep. And, and that, I mean, however that feels, it's hard to obviously describe that feeling, but that's how I felt. Meaning, I felt at the end of the day that I couldn't really think what I actually had done. It was hard to even remember the day. It kind of blew by. So the whole mindfulness thing wasn't there at all. I didn't have any kind of living in the moments because you're constantly just juggling. So I felt scattered and cluttered. And the interesting part is I didn't even feel like I had accomplished as much as it felt like while I was doing it. Mm. So when I could reflect back, it felt like, okay, I have all these things that are unfinished. And I have a a to-do list now that feels like tomorrow is carrying over and I didn't even really knock anything off of it. So it just, the whole summary I could give to that is it felt just scattered and nothing tied together and it didn't feel complete. Like the, I lost the, I, it didn't feel like the fulfillment you should have probably at the end of an accomplished day. Totally makes sense. So walk people through going through that transition from multitasking as a habit to then single tasking. Cause it's not like you just flip a switch and all of a sudden you just stop multitasking and you only focus on one thing. It's definitely a transition. What did that look like for you? So I'm going to call this the epiphany moment because it was during that time I was tracking things, but it also really explains the transition too. But I, at the time I had two Blackberries as a, for instance, and one of them uh, was brand new and I hadn't even figured out yet how to turn the ringer off. And so it was during, like I say, this tracking time and it was out on my kitchen table, two in the morning, it starts buzzing. I jump up like Bruce Lee Kung Fu, Kung Fu uh, flip up at a bed 
run around the corner, grab the phone, and the message is is basically a note that says, having trouble sleeping? Try this pill. And so it was a real epiphany for me because it was this idea of the spam message that I thought was so important that I was even trying to multitask my sleep and go get this message. And the irony is, is that I didn't need the pill. I just need to have the phone not on buzzing. So I don't know why, but that really stuck in my head as I was also tracking and realizing I wasn't feeling as fulfilled. It was just like one of those weird moments that you probably would never happen again if you tried to make it happen. But in terms of the transition itself, that was kind of an eye opener for how to make the transition. Because the biggest part I was struggling with at that time is I took my multitasking life into the technology world we live in today with our phones and with all the things we try to juggle. And so how I started the process of breaking away from, let's say, the addiction of the phone was I, and it, it sounds so easy, you would think that it's just easy to do, but it's hard, it's really difficult. But I forwarded my phone to the office. And that way, if I'm in doing a talk or doing anything, the client calling in or person calling in is getting a live voice anyway. Now, I realize not everybody has the person at the office, but I still think it'd be, uh, they can still obviously turn the, turn it the, on silence, let it go to voicemail, leave the phone in the car. So for me, I looked at it like if I'm trying to quit eating a certain thing, I don't go buy it at the grocery store and bring it in the house and leave it as a temptation. Mm. I had to find a way to do the same with my phone because that was, well, I found that was the biggest sort of root of the challenge was my phone. That was where it was starting because that's where I took my multitasking. And so I figured if I could change my habit with the phone and see benefits, it would inspire me to keep wanting to make the change. And that's exactly what happened. But I will say, like you, you asked the question, what did that look like? It was extremely hard because I realized when I started doing it, I was addicted to my phone. And I actually even failed the first few times. I would forward it to the office and then I would say, oh, but what if? And I started even talking myself into why I had to turn the phone back on. So it was a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate the time, Corey. Where can people learn more about you? Uh, probably the, the two best routes is the, I can send people, I would say, to the speakingprogram.com. Uh, that's where people can get free uh, training in relation to the speaking world. And that's pretty much free training on a regular basis. Or we actually just put out a, a brand new book called Why that people can grab for free at thebookofwhy.com. And the exclusive code for that to grab a copy is just the word why in lowercase. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again. And I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Well, there you have it. My episode with Corey Poirier. I want to quickly recap the three timeless secrets of influential leaders. First is the fact that they're a consummate student. The second is that they have purpose-driven priorities. And the third is focus. They go all in on whatever they are doing at the time. Now I want you to pause and I want you to reflect on how you show up in the world. Are you showing up in the world as a student? Are you showing up in the world with a thirst for knowledge, realizing that that you've never truly achieved mastery? It's not a destination, it's a journey. And there's always another level for you to break through. Are you showing up as that student? The second is, are you living a life of purpose? Does purpose drive your priorities? Does it drive your actions? I find that many people have not yet discovered their purpose, have not yet discovered their why. I I believe I'm on the path. I'm not quite there yet, but it's something I'm committed to finding. Is this something that would matter to you? Do you think this is something that would help you if you had that in your life? And finally, it's, it's just being a person who's focused. 
and goes all in on whatever they are doing. In the book, we talk about it when it comes to multitasking versus monotasking. We talk about living a counterbalanced life, kind of debunking the idea of a balanced life because nothing is ever really balanced. It's about counterbalancing. When you are at work, you are all in. You are focused, showing up 100% as that professional. And when it is time to go home and spend time with the people you care about, you go all in. You focus and it is family time. It's about counterbalancing. So I love everything that he shared because it resonates a lot with the principles that we believe in the one thing. My question for you is what's the one thing you can do based on this episode, such that by doing it would make everything else easier or unnecessary? And is that something you would commit to going on a 66-day challenge and making a habit in your life? If so, we would suggest you going to theonething.com. That's with the number one in the URL. You can click on the free stuff tab. And on there, we have our 66-day challenge calendar so you can begin to track your progress. As always, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you sharing this with the people that you care about. Thank you for subscribing to the show so that all future episodes are automatically downloaded to your device. And for those of you who have left us a rating and review, thank you. And for those of you who have not yet, please consider doing so. We do this because we want to add value to you and we'd love to see your feedback. So with that, we look forward to being with you in the next episode. 